Hey, I'm Dr. Ariana Demers. I'm an orthopedic sports medicine surgeon, and I have successfully integrated orthobiologics into my busy practice so that I can provide a continuum of care and treat patients who are in the gap. The gap is this gray area in orthopedics where standard conservative treatments have not been effective, but surgery may not be warranted. And we usually tell our patients, come back when it's worse. What? These are your patients coming to you for help. Orthobiologics is that solution that can fill the gap and help you treat your patients who are in your office looking to you for help. Orthobiologics can also be an excellent treatment for frustrating problems without good surgical outcomes. This podcast will help you create the orthobiologics business that will make you love your job again. We will focus on the value of orthobiologics, patient selection, how to talk to your patients about money, office setup, and other logistics. If this is something you've always wanted but don't know where to start, join me in the business of orthobiologics podcast. Hey, welcome. I am going to be talking to you today about regulatory considerations. So here's what we'll cover. Who is in charge of regulatory guidance? What is HTPC? What is the difference of 351 versus 361? What is actually under FDA regulation? Can we talk about uh, PRP, BMA, adipose, amniotic, exosomes? And then what about the FTC? So here's a little primer on FDA regulation. Who is in charge? Um, the FDA, yes. So is the FDA, Federal Drug Administration, in charge of regulating PRP? Well, this is what they had to say. While PRP is considered a medical procedure rather than drug, the FDA has specific guidelines to ensure patient safety. These guidelines focus on intended use, manufacturing processes, labeling, and claims made about PRP products. It is important for orthopedic practices offering these services to comply with these guidelines to ensure patient safety and regulatory compliance. So what is this HCTP? This stands for Human Cells, Tissues, and Cellular and Tissue-Based Products. Uh, the FDA classifies HCTPs into two main categories, 351 and 361. So the FDA regulates biologics, including orthobiologics, under different pathways based on their intended use and complexity. So the key distinction is that 351 products require a pre-market approval, a BLA, while 361 products can be marketed without a pre-market approval if they meet certain criteria, including minimal manipulation and homologous use. So things to consider about the 351, 361, uh, HCTP 351. These are more regulated human cell and tissue products. They undergo a more rigorous uh, review by the FDA and they require an approved biologics license application or a BLA before they can even be marketed. So examples of these products include certain stem cell therapies or genetically modified cellular therapies, such as things that you would use with rheumatology or rheumatologic diseases. HCTP361, uh, these are human cell and tissue products that are subject to less stringent regulation by the FDA. They are typically considered minimally manipulated and used for homologous purposes, meaning they perform the same basic function uh, in the recipient as the donor. 
So examples of these 361 products include PRP, bone marrow aspirate, adipose tissue, amniotic products, exosomes that are derived from these tissues. However, the bottom line is when you're using human cells or tissue, you need to use an approved product or procedure. That is a 361, otherwise it is considered a drug and it requires 351 approval. So I'm gonna share with you the FDA guidance documents uh, that are non-binding regulations from November 2017. So the HCTP is minimally manipulated. It is intended for homologous use only as reflected by the labeling, advertising, or other indications of the manufacturer's objective intent. The manufacturer of the HCTP does not involve the combination of the cells or tissues with any other article except water, crystalloids, or a sterilizing or preserving or storage agent, provided that the addition of the water, crystalloids, or sterilizing or preserving agents does not raise new clinical safety concerns with respect to the HCTP. And either the HCTP does not have systemic effects and is not dependent on the metabolic activity of the living cells for its primary function, or it does have a systemic effect or is dependent on the metabolic activity of the living cells for its primary function. And it is for autologous use or allogeneic use in a first degree or secondary blood relative, or it is for reproductive use. So that is straight off of the FDA website um, from the guidance documents. This was updated in July of 2020 regarding minimal manipulation. There was a lot of discussion about what was or was not uh, minimally manipulated. So part 1271 is that uh, defined as minimally manipulating showing uh, for structural tissue uh, processing that does not alter the original relevant characteristics of the tissue relating to the tissue's utility for reconstruction, repair, or replacement. For cells or non-structural tissues, the processing uh, that's defined as minimal manipulation does not alter the real relevant biologic characteristics of the cells or tissues. Um, number three, there's criteria uh, for HCTP to be regulated solely under the 361 um, of the PAHS Act, as well as regulations in the Part 1271 that says, HCTP is intended for homologous use only as reflected by the labeling, advertising, or other indications by the manufacturer's objective intent. So homologous use means the repair, reconstruction, replacement, or supplementation of the recipient's cells or tissues with an HCTP that performs the same basic function or functions in the recipient as a donor. So to clarify section 1271.3, uh, this provides two definitions of minimal manipulation, one that applies to structural tissues and then one that applies to non-structural tissues. So for structural tissues, minimal ma manipulation means that the processing of the HCTP does not alter the original relevant characteristics of the tissue relating to the tissue's utility for reconstruction, repair, or replacement. For cell or non-structural tissues, minimal manipulation means that the processing of the HCTP does not alter the relevant biologic characteristics of the cells or tissues. So to be clear, platelet-rich plasma and bone marrow concentrate 
are not actually even considered regulated under HCTP. So in their own words, platelet-rich plasma is a blood-derived product that is typically regulated by the FDA as a human cell tissue-based product under certain conditions. Whether PRP falls under regulations depends on how it's processed and used. Um, bone marrow is a source of a hematopoietic stem or progenitor cell. And minimally manipulated bone marrow for homologous use and not combined with any other article is not considered an HCTP under the section 1271. However, if bone marrow is more than minimally manipulated, intended by the manufacturer for non-homologous use, or combined with any other article with limited exceptions, it then does meet the definition of an HCTP and is subject to the regulations in part 1271. So if you wanna be off the FDA radar, uh, PRP for homologous use and BMC are really the safest way to go. Now, if you're a little bit more interested in cellular therapy, including adipose and MFAT, go ahead and keep listening. So back in the 2020 update on minimal manipulation on structural versus non-structural, uh, here's their definition. So HCTPs that physically support or serve as barrier or conduit or connect, cover, or cushion are generally considered structural tissues for the purpose of applying the HCTP regulatory framework. So examples of these structural tissues are included in tendon, bone, adipose, uh, those types of structural tissues. HCTPs that serve metabolic or other biochemical roles, such as hematopoietic, immune, endocrine functions, are usually considered cellular and non-structural tissues for the purpose of applying the HCTP. So structural tissues are bone, skin, amniotic membrane and umbilical cord, blood vessel, adipose tissue, articular cartilage, non-articular cartilage, tendon, or ligament. And examples of non-structural tissues include reproductive cells or tissues such as oocytes, hematopoietic stem or progenitor cells like cord blood, lymph nodes and thymus, parathyroid glands, peripheral nerve, pancreatic tissue, and secreted body fluids. Amniotic fluids are not generally considered HCTPs. Uh, but the cells secreted from bodily fluids are generally considered HCTPs. Um, and then the minimal manipulation for cells or non-structural tissues would apply. So this, they gave an example regarding adipose, which is what I get a lot of questions about. So example 19-6, the basic function of adipose tissue includes providing cushioning and support for other tissues, including skin, internal organs, storing of energy in the form of lipids and insulating the body. So one idea uh, or one application, adipose tissue is used to fill voids in the face or hands for cosmetic reasons. This is considered homologous use because it's providing cushioning and support as its basic function. So example number two, an HCTP from adipose tissue used to treat musculoskeletal conditions like arthritis or tendonitis by regenerating or promoting regeneration of articular cartilage or tendon is not generally considered a homologous use uh, because regenerating or promoting regeneration of cartilage and tendon is not the basic function of adipose. However, if you are using it um, for cushioning and support within a tendon or a bursa or a meniscus, 
this could be reasonably considered to be homologous use. Example number three, HCTP from adipose tissue used to treat neurologic disorders like multiple sclerosis or limiting autoimmune reactions or promoting remyelinization. This is generally not considered a homologous use because limiting immune reaction and promoting remyelinization are not basic adipose function of the adipose tissue. Um, example number four, adipose tissue used for transplantation into the subcutaneous areas of the breast for reconstruction or augmentation procedures is considered homologous use because providing cushioning and support is a basic function of adipose tissue. So hopefully that cleared up that um, use of adipose and we'll get into use of adipose a little bit later as well because this has been a little uh, a topic that's near and dear to my heart and has been a little concerning for me and um, so I've kind of dove in with both feet as to is it under the FDA purview and is it reasonable to be using um, or am I going to be finding myself in stripes or orange jumpsuits so Next part of this discussion is what about 510K cleared devices? So 510K clearance means that the FDA has determined that the device to be substantially equivalent to a legally marketed device that does not require pre-market approval application. So you can use a 510K cleared device in your clinic when providing orthobiologics as long as the device is intended for the specific use that you have in mind and is appropriate for your patient's needs. So what about off-label use? So off-label use refers to uh, using a medical device or medication in a way that it wasn't specifically approved for, for by the FDA in the device's labeling or drug prescribing information. Off-label uses often occurs when a physician believes that using a device for a different indication or uh, in a different pop patient population may provide benefit. So when can physicians use devices off-label? So this is, uh, has to do with the practice of medicine. So medical judgment, uh, where physicians can use a, an approved device off-label if they believe, based on their own medical judgment and expertise, that it's the best course of treatment for a particular patient's condition. Additionally, if you have lack of uh, approved alternatives, off-label use may be considered when there's no other approved alternatives available for a specific condition or pop patient population. And then emergency situations, you can also uh, choose to use off-label devices as a physician, save a patient's life, or prevent serious harm. So with that comes physician responsibility of off-label use. So please remember, if you're gonna use something off-label, it really needs uh, to, you need to obtain consent from the patient explaining the off-label use, potential risks, potential benefits, and available alternatives. The patient should also have a clear understanding of the treatment and give their informed consent willingly. Additionally, physicians need to document the rationale for off-label use in the patient's medical record, including the reason for choosing this approach and the discussion with, with the patients. Next, the, the, you're, you need to be monitoring your patient's response for the off-label treatment and adjusting the treatment plan as necessary. And then obviously, physicians should stay current and informed about the latest clinical evidence and guidelines related to any off-label use to ensure that their decisions are based on the most up-to-date information. So how do you educate your patients on off-label use? So you need to provide a clear, 
concise, thorough explanation to the patient why you're recommending an off-label use of the device. Uh, this should include ha wh what their potential risks and benefits are, what the alternative treatment options are, including those that are FDA approved, and then explain why the off-label use is being uh, considered best course of action. And then you need to get informed consent. Uh, we need to ensure that the patient understands the treatment, acknowledges the off-label use, and provides uh, informed consent in writing. So why go all uh, through the uh, 510k clear device uh, information as well as the off-label use? Well, I have had um, good discussions on the fact that there are FDA cleared and approved devices to process adipose tissue. Additionally, uh, this indication has been used uh, for orthopedic uses. Uh, and, and so there are devices that are out there that you can use. If you are going to be using it in a manner which for which it is not labeled, then you can use it off-label, um, provided that you have consented the patient, discussed it, and documented in their medical record why this is the best course of action, and that there's good scientific evidence to be able to use this. Um, so, what about these birth tissue and exosome products? Currently, there are no FDA-approved exosome products. Now, it doesn't mean that these aren't effective, and I've had lots of conversations with doctors who are like, well, but this works so good. And that is not at the discussion point. The question is, is, is it legal? And so just because it's not effective, just because it's effective doesn't mean that it's approved. It's just not legal for use. So this is from the FDA website. This is a consumer alert on regenerative medicine products, including stem cells and exosomes. Exosomes are products that are regulated by the FDA. And as a general matter, exosome products intended to treat disease or conditions in humans require FDA approval. There are currently no FDA approved exosome products. Anyone considering the use of anything purported to be regenerative medicine product, including stem cell products, exosome products, or other widely promoted products, such as products derived from adipose tissues, this product is also known as stromal vascular fraction, or human umbilical cord blood, or Wharton's jelly, or amniotic fluid, should know these are not approved by the FDA, from the FDA website. So, a word about amniotic or birth tissues. So amniotic tissues are defined as origin, having original relevant characteristics of amniotic membrane relating to its utility to serve as a barrier, generally included the tissue's physical integrity, tensile strength, and elasticity. So this is examples. Uh, a manufacturer processes an amniotic membrane to preserve it and package it in sheets. The HCTP generally is considered minimally manipulated because it did... The processing did not alter the original relevant characteristics relating to its utility to serve as a barrier. Next example, a manufacturer grinds up and lyophilizes the amniotic membrane and patch it, packages it in particles. The HCTP generally is considered more than minimally manipulated because processing alters the original relevant characteristics of the HCTP relating to its utility to serve as a barrier. So just look on the FDA website to see what happens if you don't comply. 
the FDA sends a warning letter to the companies for offering unapproved umbilical cord blood products that may put patients at risk and then goes forward and names Livion Labs and warns that their products pose a potential risk to the public. So people ask me all the time, including my patients, well, if they're not legal, why are people marketing and how are they still available? And it comes down to a couple of reasons, money and consequences. So here's the question. What else is available but not legal? Heroin? Speeding? Drunk driving? Not reporting on your taxes? But it all depends on the consequences. And I tell people all the time, you know, when's the last time you were going over the speed limit? Well, a lot. Uh, but people will say, you know, what's the consequence? How likely is it that you're going to get caught? And uh, what's, what's the downside of this? Now, if you apply that same rationale to drunk driving, people take a much larger pause and say, yeah. And then if you're a physician talking about drunk driving, where if you are arrested and have a DUI, there's a risk you lose your license, well, then it starts to become not worth it. So for companies that make these products, what's the risk? What's the consequence? They get a slap on the wrist, they get a letter, you know, they continue making millions and if they get shut down, well, they get shut down and they open up business somewhere else. Now, for doctors, if they get these same problems, you know, you can lose your license. You cannot practice. You may get jail, jail time. You know, you may owe Medicare millions of dollars for fraudulent billing. You get the picture. So we are the perfect patsies with a lot to lose as compared to these companies. So this is why I want to share all of this with you so you can stay out of trouble. I hope this has helped um, to clarify what the FDA um, is recommending and trying to keep us safe. So this next topic is pretty short, um, but we want to talk about who else has purview over what we do in orthobiologics. Well, the FTC does, uh, the Federal Trade Commission. And specifically, this is truth in advertising. What do they care about is what you put out there in the world, on your websites, on your brochures, in your advertising. So how do you stay safe from the FTC? It's pretty simple. Avoid misleading claims. Uh, so don't mislead the public. Don't mislead your patients. Clearly state the limitations of your treatments. Use evidence-based information. Disclose any potential risks. Provide clear contact information on how your patients can get a hold of you. Uh, place disclaimers in terms of use on your website. And then if you need to, please consult legal professionals. This is important. This is your livelihood. Don't put yourself at risk. Remember, this is our responsibility. Maintaining compliance with the FTC guidelines and providing accurate, responsible information is crucial to protect the patients and maintain an ethical practice. It's essential to stay updated on regulatory changes and consult with legal professionals when needed to ensure ongoing compliance with the rules and regulations that have been governing the ever-changing field of orthobiologic therapies. So please remember, it's not the fault of the IT guys, the advertiser, your office manager. This all comes back to you and your practice. Please make sure to review all of the written uh, things that are going out for your practice and on, when, on your website. So. This has been a lot to review. It's pretty simple to stay out of trouble. So number one, use FDA compliant autologous products. Number two, uh, use FDA 
approved 10, 510K cleared devices and use clear and honest communication. Where there's great power, there's great responsibility, says Winston Churchill. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for our next topic, near and dear to my heart, data collection. Take care. This has been the Business of Orthobiologics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to know more, please join us on the website prp-now.com and click on the free masterclass. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get more guidance on integrating PRP in your busy practice. Bye for now.